This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. These should be heady times for Jim Goodnight, founder and CEO of SAS Institute Incorporated, an analytics software and services firm. His company bucked the economic downturn to make 2009 its third most profitable year on record as it works on cutting-edge solutions to problems that range from advising Macy's on pricing billions of products to tracking a handful of endangered hippos in Africa. But Goodnight noted that his biggest priority these days is helping American schools turn out more budding scientists and mathematicians, a goal he said is critical to the U.S. remaining competitive in a global market. I wanted to ask you about um, the uh, workforce environment at SAS, which has constantly been recognized by national magazines as as basically one of the best places to work in the country. And uh, I I know you've, um, uh, this is an important subject to you, I know you've written extensively about uh, um, the managing for creativity theory of managing your workforce. Um, Could could you talk a little bit about what managing for creativity is and, uh, and your thoughts on how that contributes to the recognition that SAS has gotten is, is such a great place for employees to, to be creative and to flourish. Well, SAS is what I call a knowledge company. We were one of the first. We started back in 1976. But a knowledge company means that everything you produce comes out of the minds of the people that work there. You know, there's almost uh, virtually no manufacturing process involved, especially these days with electronic downloads of software. We don't we don't uh, produce anything anymore other, other than put stuff out on the disk for people to download. So knowledge workers are very mobile. There's a lot of demand for, for knowledge workers. So the, the question is, how do you best set up programs to retain people that are, that are so knowledgeable? And everything we've done at SAS is to try to make an an environment that's extremely friendly, very creative, that uh, helps uh, helps innovation. So you know, my job is to is to innovate the people because they're the ones that are coming up with the new ideas, the new products, the new solutions, and they're also the ones that look after the customers. So if you have uh, happy employees, you're probably going to have happy customers. And uh, can you give me a couple of examples of? what do you think SAS maybe does better or uh, ha- some of the innovative ways that you've uh, really tried to focus on, on keeping those workers happy? Well, we have um, the environment itself. We, we believe in uh, uh, private, uh, private offices, uh, so we don't have these big floors of cubicles uh, stretched all over the place. Uh, almost, uh, I'd say at least 95% of our people have their own office, um, which leads, of course, to lots of hallways. Which then requires artwork to put on the hallways to to, to make the place look, look nicer. Um, but I think more than anything else, um, the, the challenge of of the work is what uh, keeps uh, the people happy there the most. I mean, the environment's great. The benefits are are, are some of the best. Uh, they help uh, they help retain people. But really, providing challenging work is probably one of the most important things. Now let me ask you a question about the about the recent economic downturn uh, we've been through, which you know affected every corporation. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm sure SAS as well. Um, uh, I, I know there's been a lot of research recently into uh, how, how do you manage your workforce uh, in a downturn. Uh, uh, 
you know, with, with either the threat of cutbacks or uh, the possibility of, you know, diminished resources. Did, did you find, uh, you know, in 2008, 2009, when the economy was down, that uh, that put any kind of crimps in the, in the, into your strategy of keeping workers happy or, or encouraging creativity? Or were there any, any special challenges posed by that period? Well, you know, we, we really did see an enormous uh, slowdown at the, at the end of 2008. And so, um, and, and, and companies were announcing layoffs uh, all over the place. But in, in early January of 2009, I did a webcast that uh, assured our employees all over the world that we would not have any layoffs. That, uh, but I, would, I did ask them to try to hold down on expenses. Mm-hmm. And we actually, um, uh, and slow down on hiring as part of con- you know, controlling right. expenses. Uh, we, we ended up actually growing by about 2% a number of employees. Uh, it's hard to put the brakes on entirely because yeah. there's, there's offers outstanding that you have to honor. But uh, our revenues um, actually grew by 2.2% in 2009. And uh, it was actually uh, one of our most profitable years. But it sounds like communicate, you feel like communication was critical during that period. I, I think uh, communication from the top down to everyone through the use of webcast. Um, or, or blogs or whatever, you, however you want to do it, we found webcasts to be most effective because then it's very clear what the CEO, what the direction is to be. Mm-hmm. So often if, if you go through multiple layers of management, the direction gets filtered, changed, and sometimes it ends up 180 degrees different at the bottom. So. Do you blog as well? Uh, I do have a blog <laughs> that uh, somebody else usually writes articles for. <laughs> sure, but, sure. But I do the webcast. I do. I do one of those uh, every three or four months. Uh, I want. I want to ask you a question about. Um, SAS has a reputation for being a, a leader in uh, philanthropically in encouraging uh, education. You know, pu- public education and, and uh, elementary and secondary education uh, in this country. Um, uh, First of all, I was wondering if you could tell me uh, how that came to be such a focus, number one, and uh, uh, also, uh, uh, given that, I was curious your thoughts about wh- where, you, where you feel like we stand in, in training the kind—is is this really related to trying to prepare the type of workforce you think this country needs? And I was curious where you think America stands right now in, in developing the kind of workforce for, for, for an economy where com- companies like SAS can flourish. Well, first, uh, if we look back uh, maybe 15 years ago when we really decided that education was going to be our primary philanthropic uh, uh, endeavor, um, we actually uh, we, we actually uh, built a, a private school where we could experiment with uh, the use of technology and smaller class sizes, and it's a place called Cary Academy, and. Uh, we, you know, we graduate every student, they, and they all go into college. So, um, based on that experience, we realize the importance of technology in the classroom. You know, today's kids are so um, uh, interactive with all their toys and all their gizmos that they've got uh, that when they go to school and and they they don't have an environment like that, uh, they get uh, sort of bored. I think one of the biggest problems we have today, you know, everybody keeps talking about the teacher and trying to find out who the best teachers are and sure. eliminating the bad teachers. But, but quite frankly, I think the bigger problem that we have is, is trying to find a ways to motivate our kids. This generation of kids is just not motivated. 
uh, you know, very, very, very few of them. And that's why we end up with 30% dropouts of, in high school. A, a nation like the United States that, that only graduates 70% of its kids from high school, it's, it's abysmal. Is, it, is that something that can be developed in the schools or does that go deeper, you feel? Well, the, the, biggest, the, the biggest issue with one-to-one -one is cost. You know, it's still cost uh, almost $1,000 a student to, to provide a laptop. Uh, we'll see as some of the new tablets come out uh, whether they, they can be used effectively in, in, the, in the classroom. But we, we have um, programs at SAS to develop uh, content. We have a program called Curriculum Pathways. We've been working on that, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years, and it involves uh, web-based content that teachers and students can use in the various courses. It's, it's all standards-driven. Every module has a set of standards that it covers. And um, we have about 40,000 teachers right now in the U.S. that are using Curriculum Pathways. So, uh, and it's used in every state. So that's fantastic. So you really combine your expertise in, in developing software with, with your philosophies, your educational philosophies. So. Uh, uh, that's an interesting approach. Well, the, the, and this is, uh, this is uh, we don't charge for curriculum pathways. Right. It, it's provided at no charge. As a matter of fact, if you've got a Facebook account, just go on to Facebook and type in SAS on, on the search, S-A-S, and you'll see SAS curriculum pathways. There's about a eight or nine yeah. things come up, but, but right. one of them is SAS curriculum pathways. And you can actually uh, uh, dive in there and, and try, try to take a look at some of the courses. That, that's outstanding. Yeah. Well, let me let me shift gears a little bit and ask you about um, uh, the the business of, of analytics and and SAS. Um, it, it seems like uh, it seems like this is a promising time in the field in the, for uh, the the way things have been going uh, in the economy lately. Uh, um, it seems like businesses, for example, I know are more concerned uh, about fraud and fraud detection ever. And uh, uh, at the same time, I know we're seeing. Uh, uh, in terms of responding to the recession, we've seen an expanded role for government in areas like healthcare, for example, has been a big focus lately. Um, could you talk generally about what are some of the growth areas for analytics you see in the, in the current economic uh, environment? Well, certainly fraud is, is one of the big areas. We, we've got a number of fraud projects going on right now for various governments, uh, uh, a number of the different states. Uh, we're looking at um, things like a welfare fraud out in California for, for the Los Angeles County. Uh, we're doing some work up in Washington on um, uh, unemployment. No, it's not unemployment. It's um, you know when you get hurt on the job and oh uh, worker compensation. Work, yeah, uh, work, worker comp. Uh, we're, we're doing some work there for fraud detection. Um, a, a number of states were doing Medicaid uh, and, and Medicare fraud. Is that because the economy is is increasing uh, people to, to commit fraudulent acts? or? Well, I think they, they actually they always have been. Uh, uh, Medicaid especially is just wide open for fraud. Uh, you know, it, it's estimated that at least 10% of Medicaid expenditures are fraudulent. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so easy to set up an operation uh, uh, selling uh, uh, gear, you know, like... Um, Wheelchairs, yeah, wheelchairs, wheelchairs or, or oxygen tanks, right. and, that, and that sort of thing. That we see a lot of those uh, operators that, that, that get establish themselves, send uh, you know several million dollars of false bills into the government. They get paid, and then they're gone. They move on. They move on somewhere else. And and these governments are very strapped for cash these days. So they're looking as this as a way to uh, 
to try and balance, you know, bring their budgets a little bit closer into balance than in other words? Well, about Medicaid, about 60% is paid for by the federal government, 30% by the states. So the states are really, really hurting right now to come up with their share of of, uh, Medicaid. So anything we can help find and save for them is, uh, is, is is a plus for them. And is, is it your sense that as the um, health care law that was enacted uh, this year comes online, that that's going to be creating new uh, new business opportunities in, in terms of analytics? Well, it, 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 it may hurt from the standpoint that, that so many states are not going to be able to afford the additional cost of this thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's a tremendously expensive proposition. And then, you know, companies like us are, are, are now expected to cover dependent children up until age 26. So all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at an additional 3 to $4 million exposure next year because we now have to provide coverage for kids up to 26. Right. So obviously it's, it's, it's affecting SAS, it's affecting all businesses, obviously. Well, all, I think all businesses um, are in, in a position that they want to provide health care coverage for, for their employees. You know, that goes all the way back to, to World War II when, when wages were frozen. So if you were trying to hire people, you, you had to have some benefits that would, could, you could lure people in. And, and that's really when healthcare care um, benefits started for companies. But um, it, it's getting very expensive. And, and, and the more the government clamps down on payments for, for Medicaid, Medicare, the more the uh, doctors and hospitals shift that cost to the insurance companies and the private companies. Interesting. Um, uh, we were talking earlier about social networking a little bit, and obviously, SaaS sounds like a very savvy company in terms of using Facebook and and, and other types of social networking for communications. Um, uh, it seems like the the potential for businesses to apply uh, analytics to to the conversations that are taking place online is, is enormous. Could you tell me a little bit, a little bit about the uh, the business potential of uh, using analytics on on Facebook or Twitter or some of these other uh... well one of one of the very first areas that, that we're seeing the use of analytics uh, in the, in the social networks is, is what we call social network analysis mm-hmm. or social media analysis uh, here we go out and uh, scrape all the blogs and tweets uh, that pertain to a particular brand or company name right. And then we do sentiment analysis on that to, to, to determine how are, how are people perceiving your brand right now. And then we can also follow this over time. And so if you come out with some new campaign to, to try to improve your brand or your name recognition or, or a particular product, we can continue to see how the sentiment is changing in, in the country. Well, it seems that really has the potential to kind of re uh remake market analysis in this company and kind of move away from the more traditional. It is clearly uh, part now of our offering for customer intelligence, campaign management, marketing. Ever ever since SaaS was founded, you've uh, successfully uh, maintained it and operated it as as, as a private uh, company. I I know there's always speculation about whether that's something that can be uh, continued indefinitely or... uh, you know, beyond beyond perhaps your leadership, uh, uh, could you discuss that? Do you ever see do you ever foresee a day when uh, uh, SaaS either uh, uh, might go public or uh, uh, might be exposed to to uh, you know sale or merger or something like uh, that? N- not in the 
immediate future or even the near-term future. I don't see any, any reason for that. Uh, SAS has, uh, has always been profitable every year for the last 34 years. We're going to be profitable this year. Uh, we've got lots of money in the bank. We have no debt. Uh, so there's absolutely no reason to consider going public. What, what, are, the what, what are the advantages of being a, uh, running as a private company uh, that you found over, over that period of time? Well, you know, one of the examples we were talking about earlier, and that was the ability for me to tell our employees that we weren't going to have any layoffs in 2009. I could do that with the assurance that I wasn't going to be fired, <laughs> or, or the, the fact that my my uh, stock options might be going down. Uh, you know, it really bothers me when a public company announces that they're going to lay off 3,000 people, and then the next thing, the, the very instant that announcement comes out, their stock price goes up. Uh, it's it's like admitting that, well, we don't really know what we're doing, but now we're in this mess and we're going to lay off 3,000 people, and their stock price goes up. And I guess that traces back to what we were talking about at the very beginning about the positive, uh, positive workforce environment. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, not not creating those kind of resentments among the, among the workers. Uh, yeah, well, if you lay off people, then everybody that 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 was 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 a friend of these people are are not going to feel good about the company. So, I think layoffs can be absolutely devastating. So, if you believe there's going to be a one or two year uh, turn down in, in the economy. If you can hold on to your people, think of all you save when, when the economy comes back. You don't have to go out and rehire, you don't have to go out and retrain. You know, in our case, most of our R&D is on a, about a two-year cycle. So there is, there is no way I wanted to stop working on all the things that we're working on in 2009 and lay off a bunch of R&D people because those things just wouldn't get done, and they would, they would, be, they would be delayed. So, I had that, that ability to do that as a private company because I don't have to worry about my stockholders being mad at me or, or trying to get rid of me or, or my stock options or stock values go down. And I think so many CEOs in those situations act as much for looking out after themselves by laying people off, and they don't think about all the all the harm that they're doing to the people that get laid off. During during any of the uh, earlier economic uh, recessions that we faced, had, had there been a time where SAS has had to lay off uh, employees, or no, we've never laid off employees? Never laid off employees. No. That's amazing. Well, we try to manage our growth. We, you know, this year uh, we're up about three percent in, in employee growth, and uh, you know. We, we, that is our biggest cost, is, is the number of employees on board. So, we try to manage that very carefully, and not not go not go crazy and hire, you know, ten percent growth in a year. Right. Well, what what are your projections for 2011? And it, it seems like uh, uh, in recent days there's a little bit more optimism that uh, at least the economy is not going to slide back into an, another recession. Or are, are, are you feeling that that we're entering at least a uh, a, a somewhat growth period uh, uh, in the coming year or as you look ahead? Well, back at the beginning of this year, we were predicting that uh, it was going to be a fairly flat year, maybe just, sure. just a small small amount of growth. Uh, uh, you know, and it really does depend on what part of the world you're in. Uh, we're seeing uh, probably the slowest growth right now in Europe. Uh, the U.S. is a little ahead of them. And then Latin America and Asia Pacific are growing you know, 15, 20 percent right now. So we've got some great growth. Right. And, 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 and SAS has been working to position itself in those emerging uh, uh, Asian markets in particular. Is that? Is that oh, yeah. We've got, uh, we've got like four different offices in China and 
four in India, two in Japan. We, we've got in all over 400 offices in 52 countries, so we are you know, very well represented around the globe. Right, so, so your exposure is global. So even if the U.S. lags, uh, uh, you'll, you'll still have plenty of opportunities in the global markets. Well, we're seeing actually, uh, you know, year-to-date about 5 to 6% improvement in, in revenues here in the U.S. So, we, we, we've, you know, we feel like we're going to have a very, pretty good year this year. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the importance of, uh, of science and technology education? Do you, do you feel that uh, uh, we're where we need to be in that area, or, you've, uh, or do you feel that there's a lot of work to be done there? Well, the whole area of STEM, you know, we need to find ways to get our, our younger kids interested in this. Uh, we, we are seeing fewer and fewer of, of, of American kids that are, are interested in these areas. And we, we need to go on some kind of a national campaign, uh, some awareness programs, more science fairs, more engineering fairs, to get more of our kids interested in this. Um, you know, in the last uh, 10 or so years, we, we've seen, uh, you know, a, a growth in liberal arts education and a decline in uh, the, the STEM area education. And what the, the concern is, is that uh, th those STEM skills are really what fuels innovation and creativity. You know, the next breakthrough in nanotechnology, the, the next uh, big uh, uh, biomedical breakthrough, uh, discovering of some, some new gene patterns that, are, are, that indicate certain diseases. All of these things um, require PhDs to, to, to do this, and these are the kind of jobs that actually create more jobs as, as inventions come to, come to come to fore, production has to take place. And right now we are seeing uh, more and more of the uh, innovations um, are, are coming from India and China. And if, if we don't get a more educated uh, workforce, especially in these STEM areas, uh, we're going to see more and more innovation uh, move to, to, to Asia. Well, what, what have you learned about the, about the best practices? How, how do you, uh, at what age do you have to reach uh, kids to get, them, to get them motivated in this area? And, 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 and what have people learned about what are the best ways to do that? Well, it's, it's, it's very clear the earlier we can get to the kids and get them interested in that. Uh, the, the, the president has, um, has, has, has started to really encourage uh, education as, as being one of the, the forefronts uh, that we need to we need to focus on and um, it's, it's the whole process of, of getting our kids more interested uh, in, in these areas you know one of the things we're doing for example is we're providing uh, SAS uh, training uh, through uh, in, in high school so that uh, some of the high school kids can get interested in, in maybe computer science or statistics and so when they go off to college they major in that so that's one of the things that we're doing. Chris, we're also uh, working a lot with curriculum pathways to make math and science easier to teach and more interesting. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.